and welcome to Recent Activity, your new favorite entertainment review podcast that attempts to cover every film, every show, all at once. I am your co-host, Andrew Morgan. With me, as they will be every single week, are my two amazing co-hosts, Chris Frodell. Hello. And Shane Beauregard. Good evening. This is our first official episode, guys. We did uh, an excellent intro that you guys can listen to anytime, uh, if you haven't already. And we figured the best way to get to know us, as well as take the temperature of the entertainment year thus far, was to do a classic top five list for 2022 so far. So, what are we going to do today? We're going to start with the movies, because I think that's kind of the, the easier entry for all of us. The movie year thus far, Shane, do you have like a good grasp on this? Because I feel like this was a particularly tough year to start out with. And I don't know if that's just because I was a Netflix podcaster and they have had a rough year to start. No, you are pinpoint accurate. I was going through the movies and it is a tough year to gauge. We're already in May, for God's sakes. And uh, it was tough coming up with the top five. Normal years, some of these movies wouldn't make my top fives. Not to say they weren't bad, but you're not alone in, in the Netflix struggle. I think every streaming service, they've been off to a slow start this year. Yeah, I feel like the theater has definitely been the better place for me to actually see some quality films. And people will notice when we do our top fives, we do have a lot of crossover. So that kind of shows you the field is not deep. Uh, I like to keep track of my favorite films of the year on like Letterboxd and things like that. And my list is not that long. Uh, and that's just for films that are maybe like a three, three and a half and up. So that's not that's not too great when, like you said, we're already in May. Chris, do you feel kind of the same way about how 2022 is shaking out so far? Oh, yeah. I mean, we shouldn't even call it the best of 2022 so <laughs> far. The, the kind of okay so far of uh, 2022, except for one. And I will say which one that is when it comes. But it was tough. Every movie I was thinking came out this year, I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it came out in 2021, late 2021. And I even had it on my list, uh, one that I thought came out this year, but it came out <laughs> on streaming this right. year. So, And to more your point, Andrew, when you we go over our lists, I only have one stream original streaming movie in my top five. The rest are theatrical releases. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of our heads are at. Even though it's weird, like uh, we all shifted to being these indoor creatures, and now all I want to do is see all the big movies, big releases on the big screen because that's where a lot of the the talent has been at least this far into the year. Um, although I will say, because we're going to end up doing like a summer movie preview, there's a ton in the next few months that I'm like, yes, that looks awesome. So as long as the summer doesn't end up being wildly overrated or disappointing or however we want to characterize it. I think we still can have a pretty solid year. Um, it's just, man, is it backloaded uh, on this particular one. We can't push off. We need it now. You yes. Know? Well, like I said, this is the way for us to kind of get through, sorting through all the stuff that maybe was kind of talked about as we go far. People to get kind of our taste. You know, we've kind of talked yeah. about that a little bit in the intro episode, but if people are just jumping right in into our first kind of official episode, then yeah, here we are. Um, and and we can we should all be wearing "I Survived 2022" t-shirts. It oh shouldn't be like this. This 
this is going to be joyous because we're doing best ofs, but understand the depth isn't there. So we should start. Uh, Shane, your number five is a movie that I, uh, Chris and I haven't seen yet, and a lot of people didn't. It actually didn't do that well at the box office, even though this particular director is near and dear to our hearts and hasn't been relevant, so I don't know if that hurt it. But, Shane, what, tell the audience what's your number five. My number five is Ambulance with uh, the one and only Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm going to try not to butcher this this man's name. Yaye Abdul Mateen II and Eliza Gonzalez. It's it's Yaya. Yeah, I, I thought Yaya it might be Yaya, but then his, his last yeah. half is spelled different than his first half. So, okay, sorry, I was close. And Garrett Dillonhunt, <laughs> who is a great character actor. In this, all I can say, of I course. mean, here here's this sums up this movie. It's about two robbers who steal an ambulance after their high school is awry. So input that into a thousand different movies, right? I mean, that's a typical plot. You get Gyllenhaal, sure. Uh, and I'm going to call him Abdul Mateen. They're, they play brothers in this. Uh, one of them is really struggling. He needs the money. So, of course, he gets sucked up by Jake Gyllenhaal's plan, and then things go awry from there. And the whole movie turns into a two-hour chase scene with Eliza Gonzalez playing the EMT in the ambulance. All I can say is I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I didn't think he sold out for this movie because <laughs> he's doing Michael Bay, but I'm glad he was in a Michael Bay vehicle. And say what you want about Michael Bay. This was the best Michael Bay movie since The Rock. I mean, yeah, that's what I heard. I, a lot of people are saying this is, as far as like the critical response. It's been the highest. I think as far as like ratings go on IMDb and all, I think this is actually his highest rated film. Right. It so is. So you're not alone. Right. But just nobody saw it. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame, really, because if you do like action, if you do like Michael Bay, say what you want about his style. Like you can tell this is a Michael Bay film. And there is a little bit of exposition between the two brothers and how they were raised, which I kind of like. So they do try to go into the character depth a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked. But at the end of the day, it's a vehicle for these two gentlemen, and they knock it out of the park. So if you're a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal, you should go see this movie. It's well worth a uh, matinee price right now for me. So you have this above the guilty, like his last kind of like <laughs> trying to be above the fray. Uh, I, I do. Element, crime I, element thing. I do, because he doesn't play your typical good guy here he's like straddles that line between between being the villain of the movie and then being the hero so uh he, he crosses right. that line which is a little different for him you know i haven't really seen him go full bad guy in the movie yeah well i'm interested to see it it is currently on uh you know streaming not on like any of the streaming services but you could order it right now i believe like full price premiere access those things uh twenty dollars or something like yeah. that yeah, exactly. You could do that right now. It's available. Uh, I might do that based on Shane's glowing uh, <laughs> review of the movie. So be sure to do that if you would like to join in the conversation if you have not seen the movie already. Chris, your number five is something that is also Shane's number three and was a late bump from my list. What do you got for number five? X. Yes. Number five is X. Uh, it is... I have to say, I had some uh, trepidation going into this. I mm -hmm. thought maybe this was uh, Ty West's version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. And it kind of has that feel. You know, it, it kind of looks like that farmhouse. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, okay, maybe I'm not too far off. Uh, but it also feels like The Visit. Mm. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, The Visit back in 2015. Right. Um where I thought also 
prior to going into this thinking, oh, these people that are renting this uh, barn out to these people uh, making a, a, a porno, they are sundowners. They must be that, you know? Right. And they're not. They are not. <laughs> but, yes. uh, <laughs> I mean, it was slow to go, though. Uh, that's why it's my number five. It was slow to go. Like, half the movie is, like, just set up, and nothing really happens. You know, they make their porno. I was about to say, that is something that happens, and that is something that uh, will pique most people's interest. I'm surprised when you said that in our chat, like, I'm halfway through. Is this going to kick in soon? I was like, what were you watching, buddy? I was watching, uh, like, a porno be made and some uh, characters getting real weird real fast. but... But I, I got to say, like, it just felt like any other movie talking about that subject matter. Like, it there there wasn't anything, like, overly raunchy. It wasn't like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, what are they doing? It was a lot of, like, you know, I think I've seen harder on Cinemax. You know what I mean? Those hey, late night movies. It depends. We're, we're in this, like, kind of, <laughs> we're they're calling it kind of post-pandemic, but we're all kind of still horny and lonely and kind of have been inside too long. So yeah. I don't know if it had a better effect on me. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed myself <laughs> with that movie. And But as it unfolds, it gets real twisted, and a lot of oh, things yeah. maybe you don't want to see. Um, Shane, this was your number three. What did you think of X? I, it, it was higher on my list uh, as we went along, but I, you know me, I'm a horror fan. Anyone who listens to me, I do like oh, this genre a lot. This didn't feel like a straight-up horror movie, though. It wasn't. It, it was more unsettling and awkward than it was yeah. anything else. I liked the buildup. I liked the characters. You have Gina Ortega, Brittany Snow, um, Kid Cudi, Cuda, whatever his name is, was in this as well. Cuddy. Yeah, yeah. Cuddy. I liked the yeah. era that this was set in. I love films out for whatever reason, shot in the 70s. I liked the dynamic this cast had. So I had no problem with the buildup because like, it, you knew it was drawing you into something. And when those two old, especially the old woman, I was like, holy crap, like <laughs> just yeah. weird and nasty and disgusting. And as this mm -hmm. film went on, I thought it had enough twists and turns, like mm -hmm. no spoilers here, but like the Gina Ortega character, like I was like, holy crap. Uh, yeah. That's all I'll say. It had some good kills in here. Uh, I think because the main, it was the old people, it was the elderly couple that was really just made this movie as it went on. Cause you're like, Oh my God, that's so, so nasty. It's so weird. I, yeah. I like this a lot. I, I really did. Uh, and I don't think it's a, uh, again, like you said before, I don't think it's a movie. A lot of people saw. Yeah. No. It's, it's an honorable mention for me. Uh, it was right off, uh, off my list. It was in up until very late and man, I, I gotta, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I actually dig the that was what draw me drew me in, uh, Chris. You mentioned the whole Texas Chainsaw thing. Yeah. It does have that vibe, that atmosphere, that look because it's that you know North Texas, whatever middle of nowhere type of feel, yeah. um, and it in that era too in the seventies. So it, it's gonna heart a lot of those things. That might have been the hook to get a lot of people in, but boy. Is it not Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, after a while? But I, I I definitely dug it, and I, I, it's a recommend for me, too. So I, I definitely tell people to check it out. Because X, I, I think, is also now on uh, PVOD, Premium Video On Demand. So yeah, I think you could buy I that, too. I think I looked it up on uh, Redbox, and uh, it was, yeah, uh, early access or, you know, it was it was 20 bucks. 
or, yeah. or maybe maybe less but still i was just like oh wait you know um, <laughs> sure but no uh it, it's funny because uh that uh jenna ortega i was just like man she's making the rounds big uh, year yeah yeah scream studio 666 this i was like man uh she's all over the place and i had um, her earmarked uh the second babysitter the babysitter film the mcg films right. on netflix she that was the first time i saw her and she killed it and then and that movie's not good and she is absolutely <laughs> the best part about it and then the first one was good though oh the first one's the great yeah i loved like, it like it was yeah. surprised i was upset that the second one was not good um but jenna ortega she you know then turned around she was also in the fallout on hbo max that got pretty good reviews too so she's having a very big year and it's very early in the year i don't know if she has oh, anything yeah. fur- further down the line but yeah she she's really turning it on and, and i enjoy her so i hope she stays in this she's basically just early already being you know honored as kind of this scream queen just from this stuff so it, it's yeah. a great start in that genre for her for sure my number five is also Chris's number four, so we could talk about that. Um, Turning Red, which premiered on March 11th on Disney+, Plus, co-written and directed by Domi Shi, which was the uh, director of the Oscar winner Best Animated Short for Bao. Bao. Um, yeah. This has uh, the voices of Rosalie Chang, Sandra Oh, and James Hong, as well as many others. Uh, of course, uh, a lot of people have probably seen this because it was a... It wasn't as huge a hit. It's not an Encanto, but a lot of people still watch this film. It's a you know about a confident, dorky 13-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, if her as if changes to her interests, relationships, and body weren't enough. Whenever she gets too excited, uh, which is practically always, she poofs into a giant red red panda. This movie, you know, I saw the trailer and I wasn't impressed. Um, This was a movie that I knew, like, my wife and daughter wanted to watch. So I was like, all right, I'll I'll catch up to it, whatever. Especially because this was a movie that other parents or grandparents had kind of warned to me being like, oh, you know, that movie, you know, I don't know if your young kids should watch it. It has tampons and period stuff being discussed and maybe it's not the right age level. Um, All that was way overblown. So if you're a parent right now and you're like, ah, I haven't shown them to show them the movie. It's yeah. really so small. It's so minor that it's stupid. And I'm, I'm my daughter's seven years old and she liked the movie a lot. Didn't have questions that weren't, you know, out of bounds. She just loved it. She just loved the ride. Um, and to me, this movie is very entertaining. It's well-constructed, coming-of-age movie. Um, interesting that it kind of dovetails with another movie we're going to talk later, this kind of mother-daughter Asian culture dynamic stuff later. But it was really good. It has, you know, stuff about cultural identity, mysticism, and kind of this, the cutest transformation I've seen sometime. Also, hearkening back to, it feels kind of 90s-ish with the boy band aspect of it and everything else too. But the one thing, uh, Chris, I think we talked about this when uh, we watched The Atom Project. Pixar is slowly becoming like the modern-day Amblin. And I'm here for it. They don't get enough credit for it, but quietly Pixar has kind of become that in the culture for a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people say that out loud because it's, you know, an animated company, but I, basically they're doing but the feel. Yeah. This yeah. like warm Spielbergian popcorn feel is oh, yeah. all Pixar does. And I love it. So what did you think of red? 
it, it was something unique, and I, that's what I love about Pixar is that you know when they go original stories, when they pick a lane and stay with it, mm-hmm. that's great. That's when they shine. When they do the sequels, which I, you know, back in the day, they said, we're not going to make sequels to our stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- that's that's other companies. We're not going to do that. And then here they come out with Cars 2, Cars 3. I'm just like, okay, that's enough. Uh, Toy Story, they, they should have stopped at, you know, 3 maybe. You know, even though I don't have any issues with uh, 4, I just think it's unnecessary. It's a very different movie. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's fine. I thought it was overrated at the time, but yeah, it's still watchable for sure. But uh, it was funny watching uh, Turning Red. uh, People are shocked by them including like, you know, oh, she's going through a change. So, you know, here's a mom throwing tampons on her and and, and (laughs) all this. I wasn't shocked by that. I was shocked by the embarrassment she must feel that her mom is doing this at her school yeah. where her whole class can see this this transpire. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. But that is within the Asian community. It's like you have yeah. to be a certain way. And, you know, she she feels that she has to uphold that, but also she wants to be her own person. She wants to be that American girl, hang out with her friends, see her favorite boy band, you know? Yeah. It's cute. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, it killed me that I had to bring it to, uh, my wife and daughter's attention. Right. Cause Melanie sees cartoons and she's like, ah, cartoons. She'll, she'll dismiss it as, you know, ah, you know, it's like, kids this stuff. is an I'm animated like, feature, yeah, not a cartoon. Yeah. She calls everything animated anime. I'm like, it's not anime. It's not anime. <laughs> Although some of the look of Turning Red popped like anime um, does. Sure. Yeah, but, it definitely has that influence. Yeah, she kind of poo-poos it, and I'm just like, but it's really good. And she watches it, and she's like, that was really good. I'm like, thank you. That's why you do what you do, Chris. That's, That's why we hey, do listen this. To this podcast, and she's like, mm. but if you want to do any, <laughs> if you want a palate cleanser or the lack <laughs> thereof uh, to flip it, Shane, your number four <laughs> is fresh from Hulu. Tell the yeah. people this was a movie at Sundance that I I had people tell me they had to shut it off. They got like visceral reactions from. Uh, tell us what you liked about Fresh. You know, it's this is obviously a Hulu, so this is the only streaming movie I have in my top five. Uh, It's uh, Sebastian Stan, which Hulu seems to be going all in with uh, Sebastian Stan this year between that and the Tommy Lee show. Also has uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, who I've never seen before. Um, And I'll get. Yeah, she was in Normal People for uh, Hulu as well, I believe. I'll get more to her later. This movie is about the horrors of modern dating seen through one young woman's defiant battle to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetite. Now, Sebastian Stan, who I do like, and most people know him as being the Winter Soldier in the MCU. What? But I think he it pops big charisma in this movie. Now, this movie, yeah. man, it took about a half hour for the setup. I mean, for like the title sequence and stuff, which was unusual. Yeah. I mean, you're uh-huh. into this movie, and it's like, wow. Now, and it was at the turning point of his unusual appetite that this you finally started seeing what was going on. I loved the dynamic. I thought it was funny. 
I didn't turn away for one second. Not to say this is an original movie because it does borrow from other movies, but it was his charisma. It was his just charm. He was funny. I mean, everything. So between him and uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, who had at times, and she even looked like Phoebe Cates to me. She had that Phoebe Cates kind of feel and look. And this movie has it all. I mean, (laughs) this is a horror comedy. There's no way to do it. And I thought it was to hate to use the title. I thought it was fresh. And it was the performances. It was the nuttiness, the craziness, especially during that last act where she sets him up. And then, you know, she goes in for the big bite, if you know what I mean. I was like, I loved every minute of this movie. Yeah, this was kind of like an honorable mention for me, too. It's not on my list, but I did enjoy myself, Um, (laughs) especially because this was a movie that you know, everybody had an opinion, but nobody wanted to spoil for good reason um, going into it. And it almost felt to me almost like a, like a elevated uh, Tales from the Crypt episode kind of a thing because it has that kind of twisty vibe. Uh, but it's it's definitely more modernized. It's definitely more stylish. It definitely doesn't feel TV. But it, in terms of plot, it kind of has some of those hallmarks to it. Chris, this you actually had it higher than Shane did. You had it as yeah. your number three. What did you like about Fresh? Uh everything that Shane said and uh you know what I would uh I would fall for his uh his charm as well uh with the little meat cute that he had with Daisy because I was just like it was corny but it was just like oh this guy's unassuming he's not he's harmless you know yeah. I'll go on a date with him and and she did and she had this whirlwind uh romance you know it, it happened fairly quickly and you know you're just like what's what's the hook because honestly i went into it not knowing anything i didn't read what the what it was about i kind of remember the the trailer for it right. uh, but i didn't like really pay attention to the trailer mm-hmm. you know suddenly she's in this situation i'm like holy crap what's going on here you know this this isn't the movie i thought i was seeing right uh which isn't like you know it's not a detriment against it. It's like, I'm glad you took this turn on me. And it's just like, what are his intentions? You know, because he, he keeps on saying that I, I really like you and, and he's he's hoping for this relationship, but I'm just like, how far is it going to go? You know? Yeah. It, but, it's a definitely one of those read the room <laughs> situations right? Uh, that, that goes through all the way through. But, um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating movie. It's one of those like I think people I think talk too much about that guttural reaction that kind of like just uh, I I can't go past it. I don't know if I'm <laughs> just a, a deviant where I just it didn't have that kind of reaction to it. I think it's yeah, overblown. Same. I had way more of a reaction to the stuff going on in X than I did in Fresh, but and I think that's why I probably I put X higher than fresh on my list. Um, but yeah, definitely more of an honorable mention to me. But definitely again, as far as streaming options, fresh is one of the best ones out there. So definitely check that out. Hi, I'm Shamarka, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tahada, codename Arate. 
I'm a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This month, we're checking out New Earths as we hop across the DC-verse on... Yet another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. My number four is uh, the Nicolas Cage kind of meta buddy comedy, uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is uh, co-written and directed by Tom Gormican, who was the uh, creator of Ghosted, the sitcom on Fox, uh, if anyone watched that. This, of course, has Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, Sharon Horgan, Ike Barinholtz, Neil Patrick Harris, and many others. Uh, it's basically a fictionalized version of Nick Cage, uh, who must accept a $1 million offer to attend the birthday party of a dangerous superfan, Javi Gutierrez. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when Nick Cage is recruited by a CIA operative and forced to live up to his own legend, channeling his most iconic and beloved on-screen characters in order to save himself and his loved ones. Guys, I, I don't believe either of you have watched this yet, correct? Not yet. No. Um, the one thing, because uh, obviously we all kind of saw the trailer and kind of got what the vibe of this movie is, I just want to say I respect any entertainer, whether it be an actor, musician, that just doesn't take themselves too seriously and can kind of be in on the joke. Um, and or at least play with being themselves in a movie and, you know, not protect some reputation that they think they need to uphold. Uh, I love that. I, I think it's amazing. The closest to this movie, because this movie is the full on version of that. The the closest uh, that I thought of was like John Malkovich and being John Malkovich yeah. um, or, um, you know, I also think of things like the Natalie Portman rap with Lonely Island on SNL, things like that, or or Keanu Reeves and Always Be My Maybe, just playing like kind of a, a facsimile of themselves. They're playing themselves, but they're doing these heightened, bizarre versions or whatever. I, I love that, and I love it when people do it and, and buy into the joke. But what I really admire is also it's not just some meta exercise, this movie. It's not some shrine to Nick Cage. I mean, literally, there is a shrine to Nick Cage in the movie. We see it in the trailer. But it's not that way. It's actually way more than that. It's it's essentially one of the best studio buddy comedies I've seen in a long time, um, which we don't get too many of those. I, we, you and I, uh, all three of us, did the uh, Eurovision episode where we talked about like the Will Ferrell movies of the past and like the studio comedies and how they've kind of like evaporated. Um, and you know, this is what that is. It just, they had to have some kind of, you know, gimmick to maybe get it greenlit or whatever. But I I thought it was almost in a similar way to movies like that. I really like, like hot fuzz adaptation, things like that, where it kind of, you know, they talk about something in the film and then the film ends up in a similar way to what they discussed while they were talking about it. It's kind of this circular meta exercise. But yeah, it almost feels like a fever dream for the person that you're kind of discussing. And I really like that. And, you know, it's also got quality action that brings Cage back to his Michael Bay era roles, which is funny because we just talked about Ambulance kind of being a comeback for Michael Bay. And we're currently in the Nicolas Cage-assance 
where he <laughs> did, you know, you got Mandy, Pig, and now this movie. He's really hitting on some stuff. And I don't think this did too well at the box office, so I don't know how much we're going to see these going forward. But my God, I, I would love this Nicolas Cage back in my life. Even more than, say, like Pig, even though I enjoyed that. But I think this is where he lives. Um, also, Pedro Pascal is quickly becoming a star. You know, Mandalorian and everything else. But he is so good in this movie. I, I can't recommend it enough. That's my number four. Shane, X was your number three. We already discussed that, so we'll move past that. Chris, your number three was fresh, so we'll move on past that. Um, my number three is a movie that we're going to talk about, which is all on our list. Uh, is everything, everywhere, all at once. This is done by the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart. Uh, this was a South by Southwest premiere. came out on March 25th in theaters. Um, the Daniels, uh, people, if you haven't seen Swiss Army Man, that is an example of their work previous to this movie. Um, they also uh, did a, their classic movie, music video directors um, that just... If you liked, if you saw this movie and you saw a lot of kind of like what they did going between the multiverse stuff, you could definitely tell from their uh, music video direction where they were going with something like this. Uh, this movie stars Michelle Yeoh, uh, Kei Hugh Kwan, Stephanie Hsu, uh, James Hong, and Jamie Lee Curtis. It's about an aging Chinese immigrant who gets swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives she could have led. I felt like this movie, I really like this movie. Obviously, it's my number three. Uh, it's a movie that owes a lot to films like The Matrix or Kung Fu Hustle or even Being John Malkovich, which I already brought up once in this episode, uh, amongst many others, including just straight Looney Tunes. This this movie basically goes that way, but Kung Fu Hustle also does. That's why I kind of conflate that. But it also is just more digestible these days because of the current multiverse moment we're having in Hollywood right now between Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man No Way Home, and now uh, Doctor Strange going to be coming out uh, next week as we're recording this week before. And yeah, it's a movie that hit me hard, um, especially as a parent, uh, because the world has a way of kind of pulling you away from what is important. And sometimes you need to, to fight for it. And sometimes you need to talk it, these things out and obviously that's where some of these things go and this movie shows all of it i like that it's messy some people might take that as a complaint i don't uh because so is untangling your life choices and you know figuring out what to do next despite our failures so um i i, I love this movie for the heart the humor and an incredible comeback performance for k Hugh kwan uh who we all loved in the 80s with uh temple of doom and the goonies um man yeah, they originally tried to get Jackie Chan for the lead of this uh, as the father version uh, with Michelle Yeoh, but I'm glad that they reworked it and you know made made it the way they did. It shook out incredibly well. Uh, this movie's very impressive. Chris, this was your number one, so I'll start with you. So uh, speak on everything, everywhere, all at once. It just as the title says, it had everything, everywhere, all at once, <laughs> and it was gorgeous. It was heartfelt i shed tears it 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 was so so wonderful like uh like i i wrote a review about it which as we've established no one's read <laughs> there was uh there was like the first half of it i was just like what is going on i struggled to try and figure out 
what was going on. And I, that kind of hinders my view of things sometimes mm-hmm. is that like I, I just can't get off this this subject. I, I it, it has to mean something. Right. And uh, then it like when it clicked, it clicked. And I'm just like, oh, it's about this. It's like, you know, if I only did this. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of sliding door moments uh, for uh, Michelle Yeoh's uh, character of Evelyn. She was put in a situation where she thought, oh, I'm going to prosper, and yet she flounders. And is that because of her? Is it because of her husband? Is it because of her, you know, overbearing father? A lot of questions were asked throughout this this whole movie. And yeah. boy, what a ride. Uh, I, I, that's why it's my number one. It honestly, like, it set the bar very high for the rest of 2022. Michelle Yeoh uh, has said in an interview that this was the role that she was just she wanted. She wanted to play, yeah, and uh, and she got it, and deservedly so. She she was amazing in it. Yeah, her just, first big thing since Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon that I actually felt kind of uh, a big response to. Yeah. She she is amazing. Like every everyone did a great job. There there was no slouching by anybody in this. Uh yeah. everyone did such a fantastic job. And the fact that the Daniels they made a film that feels like grand in scope. Mm-hmm. But overall, like they did budgetary stuff that like they went to the dollar store for stuff, you know? It, yeah. It, it's amazing. I've seen some uh, behind-the-scene videos uh, of their process, and I'm just like, they, that is so simple. Yeah. Where I overthought it. I thought, oh, my God, they they really uh, inflated this budget. But, no, they, they kept it under a certain amount, and it just y- – you wouldn't know. They They were so good with it. Yeah, that was the unfortunate story about the whole Jackie Chan thing. He was originally was the person they wanted to do this, but he was like, yeah, I'll do it for this number. And it was like almost all their budget. So they're like, mm. we just can't. They, yeah, they reworked it for Michelle Yeoh. So I, and I'm I was very impressed. Shane, this was your number two. Yeah, I went back and forth on this for a long time, because if you ask me tomorrow, it may be my number one. I took a chance on this film. and It just blew me away. I think Michelle uh, Yeoh again would have been better in this role than Jackie Chan because I don't think she gets enough credit for her acting chops we all know she could pull out the physical and the martial arts and all that aspect of her movies but man she really came through I thought Jamie Lee Curtis uh, far from her true lies days though uh, still did really well in this movie (laughs) I like seeing data back in action and it was funny because a couple of his action scenes he reminded me of Jackie Chan a little bit like I saw that in him yeah and again, I got emotional towards the end of this movie because it is very relatable to people having certain situations. Everyone makes the bad you know, choices in life, uh, but it's about marriage. But at the heart of this movie, it's a mother-daughter movie. Uh, and me being a father of an 11-year-old, it, it, it had everything you said. It had the action. It has an awesome dildo fight, which was terrific. Uh, <laughs> so it had the humor. It had the action. The family values just everything about your marriage and and relating to your kids in in today's age rather than when we were growing up because it's vastly different and they're going through different things that we never had to deal with. So it did have 
everything that I was looking for. And it was funny because a lot of my clients were like, hey, what'd you go see? And I told them like, oh, can you explain it to me? I'm like, ah, oh, it's kind of hard. Because like you said, Andrew really? borrows from a lot of different <laughs> movies. Particularly, I was thinking of The Matrix. You know, instead of downloading data, you're just tapping into another conscious and another universe to get that kind of skill. Right. But again, I would see this. I would rewatch. This has more rewatchability than my number one film, but it's a heartwarming movie that I think we all need to see today, especially in today's day and age. It, it has everything. So you guys spoke enough about it, but it is my number two. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's an original movie, guys. Hey, what yeah. do you know? And I, I think yep. that's uh, kind of been the theme thus far. I think everything here that we've talked about is not some retread or a sequel i mean we'll have i think we have one obviously in all our list that we'll get to in a minute but like those type of things are, are i think this type time of year is when we all kind of seek out the movies that the studio didn't know what to do with they just put it in the or late you know late winter early spring and just was like all right well before all the summer blockbusters get here whatever's not Marvel and we have no idea how to market, let's do this. And we're getting a lot of crazy stuff and big swings that I think a lot of them paid off. So that was my number three uh, in Shane's number two and Chris's number one. So we'll, we'll skip those when we get back there later. Um, Chris, the Batman is your number two. It's also my number two uh, and it's Shane's number one. So we'll, we'll kind of spread the floor on this cause it's all very high on our list. Uh, we saw this together holding hands the entire time. No, just, <laughs> just bragging that out there. Um, what did you enjoy about the Batman? It, Batman has been DC's go-to since the sixties. Like it, you know, they have all these other characters that they could be, you know, spreading the wealth with, but they always go back to the Batman. Well, and, you think we've seen it all. We've seen Batman in every variation, you know, slapstick to semi-serious. I compare this to the uh, Nolan's trilogy, saying that it made the Nolan's trilogy seem more comic book than the character that it's come from. Yeah. Um, the Batman is set in in such a reality that you're like, this could really happen. A yeah. guy could really dress himself up as a bat and fight crime. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it has that, you know, everyone said it. I'm not the first to say this, but it has that seven feel where, you know, you're like, I've seen this before. And yeah, sure, you have. I go to a bar. I ask for a certain drink. I know the ingredients to it, but I'm not guaranteed to get the same taste mm, yeah. each time. But- I know the ingredients. I enjoy it, you know? And as I said in my review, my written review, uh, <laughs> as I said in my review, Matt Reeves is my bartender, and I'm coming back, and uh, I'm hoping for more. Yeah, Matt Reeves, uh, very impressive, you know, between the the newer Planet of the Apes movies that I thought just were a triumph. I, I, I had no expectations on those movies, and he made a solid trilogy out of out of that series he, he's very impressive and i think a lot of people who maybe didn't watch those are now watching this and realizing the genius of matt reeves and of course they already have now announced at CinemaCon that there will be a sequel with matt reeves coming back so i'm i'm excited for that too like i said this was my number two 
you mentioned uh, Seven definitely uh, mixing up the Fincher aesthetic with a more straightforward noir influenced mm-hmm. detective story, which a lot of people, you know, a lot of the Batman movies, they don't let him do a lot of detective work. And I like yeah. that early on, you're already seeing him at the crime scene, analyzing things, really getting into the thick of it. Uh, I thought it hit the right tone for Bruce Wayne being in only his second year as the Cape Crusader. Um, rarely, like I said, do you see in the modern era Bruce being out of costume so little? Uh, and I actually enjoyed that a lot. I like the fact that he's in the Cape and Cowl most of the movie. And yeah, definitely doing some some detective work uh, that doesn't involve like the Adam West episode silliness. We could actually do yeah. a straight kind of noir uh, crime thriller. And you know, it definitely standout performances from Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson. Uh, their chemistry to me is what makes the film stay on the tracks. Um, some incredible set pieces like the car chase with the penguin uh, and the ending and the arena. Um, I, everyone who's like emo Batman, emo Batman, <laughs> go to hell. You'd be very emo too if you were at the stage of life that he was, you know, and how much he lost as a child now being, you know, in his 20s or whatever, just being this emotionally volatile man. Yeah, I'd be the same way. So. Take your emo Batman somewhere else. I look forward to the next one. Shane, what did you think of the Batman? Uh, pretty much everything you guys said. I, like everyone, like this movie's been out for a while now, so there's probably been a thousand discussions about this movie. Of course. Um, but when it was announced, two things. When they announced Robert Pattinson was going to be Batman, everyone poo-pooed it. I did not because I've seen him in things other than Twilight. Where I'm, <laughs> yeah. where I'm like, he could pull this off. And going back to Matt Reeves, I love the Planet of the Apes trilogy. So when he was attached to this movie, I'm like, okay, it's going to be done right. However, I did not know how good this movie was going to actually be. Again, it does have that very David Fincher undertones of a movie. But just to piggyback off of what you said, I love that he's Batman 95% of the movie. He does not give a crap about being Bruce Wayne at this point. I love Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman. Love their chemistry. Uh, the now I won't get into my negatives, but I, I thought the score was really well done. I like it yeah. again the detect that we actually got to see him being a detective, like you said, like that that was him the whole movie, which I really liked. Now there was a couple things that I didn't care much for, which was honestly still the three hours. It's a little bloaty to me, a little yeah, bloaty. It, it is. Um, yep. I loved Colin Farrell as the Penguin in that car chase. I could watch over and over and over. But yeah. did you really need Colin Farrell to play the penguin? That's a whole different conversation. But the scene you talked about was the very end arena scene. Mm-hmm. I loved it. But getting back to the emo Batman real quick, in his very selective fight scenes, which there weren't a lot of, but you can tell he had so much rage. And like I said, he was vengeance. Like, no, he was a badass yeah. Batman. I loved the suit. I loved the design of the suit. But the very end, just the uh, the way everything looked in that arena when he broke that flash uh, bang out to the red light in the yeah. dark and the mayor wouldn't grab his hand and it took the little kid to trust him and he let everyone out and he changed his, you know, that he knew he didn't have to be vengeance anymore, which uh, the whole thing was just terrific. Um, again, everything's already been said about this movie and I just rewatched it this past weekend. So I, my feelings did not change whatsoever. The rewatchability, I don't know how high it is because it is three hours. So like, eh, maybe it's an event. Yeah, <laughs> it's an event. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to the second one and I'm not getting into the weeds. I I, I just leave the Joker in, in the asylum for the second movie, please. I, I don't need to. Yeah. That's all I'll say about <laughs> that. But home run, 
my number one, again, I went back and forth with the previous one we talked about, but in the end, I'm a big Batman fan. So this was it for me. Yeah, it, it was definitely tough to 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 see where I wanted to rank on this one. Like I said, it landed on my number two. Um, outside of the score, which I agree is mostly excellent, uh, even though the main theme sort of is very Darth Vader-ish, reminiscent, all that hmm. stuff. So I kind of had to get over that to to get into the to the swing of it as far as the whole thing. But I also like the use of the Nirvana song as well. <laughs> Um, something yeah. in the way incredible stuff. So I, I was very impressed by this and definitely look forward to the next film. So, like I said, that was Chris's number two. Uh, also my number two, everything everywhere all at once was Shane's number two. Uh, so we can move on from those. Um, Shane's number one was the Batman. Chris's number one was everything everywhere all at once. And my number one, cause I'm a complete asshole is a movie <laughs> that isn't even out yet. Uh, it, this is Cha Cha Real Smooth, which premieres on Apple TV Plus on June 17th. So not too far off in the distance, but this was a uh, premiere at Sundance, which I did watch uh, virtually this year. And God, I'm glad I did. And this is from writer-director Cooper Rafe, who, if you ever seen Shit House, um, uh, that movie is Bananas too. Definitely another movie that is impressive. Cooper Rafe all of 25 years old and he's made multiple amazing films and all of them were film festival favorites. Uh, and this one, of course, like I said, was acquired out of Sundance by Apple TV plus, um, this stars Cooper Rafe, Dakota Johnson, Leslie Mann, and Brad Garrett, amongst others. This is about a young man who works as a bar mitzvah party host who strikes up a friendship with a mother and her autistic daughter. That makes it sound almost more like kind of grounded, or serious than it is but honestly this is a movie that you very rarely do you get to use the cliche poster quote thing and actually mean it this movie did make me laugh it did make me cry it did make me aroused it had everything (laughs) all in an incredibly lived in atmosphere with a message that i think many people can grasp which is basically there is no age cap for coming of age we all kind of have our different timelines uh you know And then these two characters who are not in the same age bracket, they're in different situations that define their lives at the moment, but they still have this connection and they meet on the same wavelength. And Cooper Rafe, man, God, he's so talented as an actor and a writer-director. And Dakota Johnson continues to shake off the whole Fifty Shades of Grey film thing by just choosing these incredibly complex, challenging, and fascinating scripts with some really deep and interesting characters, you know, Lost Daughter, she did last year, which really broke out. She's got multiple movies this year um, and just, just absolutely killing it. She was so compelling in this movie, and I hope she gets nominated for it. So look for this on June 17th on Apple TV+. Plus. I can't recommend it enough. Um, that's it, guys. Those are our top five films of 2022 so far. You can let us know your top five on our socials at Recent Act Pod. As we may have mentioned, this is episode one of our fair podcast, but as a nice little treat, we have released two more episodes for you to listen to today. The companion episode to this one, our top five TV shows of 2022 so far, and our review of the MCU's latest phase four film, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Be sure to check those episodes out, and we'll be back next Wednesday 
with more of our recent activity. For Shane, Chris, and myself, thanks again for listening.